Welcome back to episode 4 of Hit Singal, part of the Play Call Network. I'm your host, Akshat Singal, and since we're coming off one of the craziest weeks of the NFL offseason in recent memory, who better to bring on as co-host than the Play Call Network's resident NFL encyclopedia himself, Grant Evan. How's it going, Grant? It's going great. I'm glad to be here. It's nice to do some free talking instead of just looking at a script all day. Yeah, um, there's a lot of talking today. There's a lot to talk about. Um... This was one of the most bizarre weeks of the NFL I could think of. Uh, Yeah, I'd say so. But we're here to talk about all this and more. Let's get started with Love 30. Um, Why don't you kick us off with yours? Sure. So I've always been kind of a closeted Cleveland Browns fan. So Cleveland coming out at 14-1 betting odds for the Super Bowl, I'm kind of all about the Browns playing Moneyball and building their hype to insane levels. Baker Mayfield doing interviews about how cool it is to get Beckham on the team. It's so rare to see historically terrible franchises get it all together. So let's hope and pray that Baker suffers no sophomore slump. There's no major injuries for the Brownies because I don't know, maybe not as fun for you being a Bengals fan, but it's, I think the NFL is more fun when the Browns are good. Yeah. I mean, I I hate the Browns, but at some point they just become (laughs) the lovable losers i guess um yeah i don't of the four afc north teams or the other three afc north teams they're the ones i hate the least so if there's one team other than the Bengals that i'm okay with being good i guess it's them they've been through years of just being terrible so i guess they deserve it it's kind of how i feel about detroit (laughs) oh gross (laughs) all right um i'm gonna start mine off here with an unpopular opinion um but I loved Antonio Brown getting what he wanted. Um, I don't necessarily agree with how he handled the whole process, but it kind of seemed like to me that he was kind of portrayed as the villain of the whole situation with the Steelers, even though I think there were a lot of people at fault and he wasn't really the only one. It was a shitty situation. Um, they said it, or he said it in like his Twitter Q&As where... Big Ben kind of has that owner mentality, and I think, I think I see where he's coming from, uh, especially after this trade, where it seems like the Steelers are just unwilling to part with Big Ben, even though throughout the years he's, in my opinion, been just as much of an issue, a locker room issue, as some of these other guys who get the blame instead. Um, but yeah, because. Absolutely. But because Antonio Brown is the vocal one, he kind of gets the blame. And that's just how it is. So I'm glad he got what he wanted. He got to uh, publicly trash the Steelers, trash the team. He tanked his own drafts or trade stock. So the Steelers got really nothing back in return for him. And the Raiders just got a very, very good player for very cheap. Well, 
the trade was cheap. The contract he got after that was not. <laughs> yeah, giving up a third and a fifth for a once-in-a-generation receiver is not too bad of a deal. Yeah, I mean, if you're the Raiders, you take that and you run with it and hope that um, Derek Carr can get his can get back to his old form. Yeah, hopefully. I think I think having Brown will help that. I, I, quarterbacks do better when they have good receivers. And yeah, I mean, for sure. yeah, I think the Steelers are playing themselves because of the three big B's. I think they got rid of the two vital ones. And when people like Brown and Bell are kind of coming out and saying, eh, Ben's kind of toxic and you have his, his own off the field issues. I, I don't know. Weird, weird moves all around. Yeah, definitely. Uh, my next one here is a two parter. Um, so I loved Russell Westbrook firing back at the fan who allegedly yelled, um, get down on your knees like you're supposed to, uh, to him during the game against the Utah Jazz about a week ago. And I also love the Utah Jazz banning said fan from all future um, events at the arena. So I I think fans kind of have this uh, mentality that because they paid to get in, they can say whatever they want. And that's absolutely not not the case at all. You're there to watch the players. If you want to criticize their play, go ahead. But saying racially charged remarks and things like that are just unacceptable no matter no matter the situation um and i don't necessarily condone what westbrook said to the fan but i'm all for players defending themselves against disrespectful comments and and i'm all for fans being punished and both of those happened here yeah there's really no place ever anywhere for those kind of comments like i'm a thunder fan and i've been a westbrook apologist for like feels like his whole career since Durant left but like having someone come that hard at him saying what they said and like yeah Westbrook could have played it cooler but I mean like responding to that's a very emotional thing so I I don't condone it either but it's also very understandable and I'm glad the Jazz ownership had the wherewithal to do the right thing about it yeah for sure um so with that uh we'll move on to word association and because of how busy the NFL offseason was, most of these are going to be NFL-related. So let's start with the biggest news here. The Giants traded Odell Beckham Jr. to the Cleveland Browns for a first, a third, and Jabril Peppers. And that first-round pick was pick number 17, and the third was pick 95. I'll start this one off. My word that I came up with this was just RIP AFC North. (laughs) I'm a Bengals fan, as previously mentioned. Um, I hate this for the Bengals. Uh, it's obviously great for the Browns. Um, and it's it's a weird time in the AFC North when the Browns might come out on top of the division because the Steelers just lost their two best players. The Ravens' defense got worse, I think. Um And it's all pretty much resting on Lamar Jackson's ability to throw the ball. And the Bengals still fucking suck. So (laughs) it's somehow the Browns in 2019 are going to be the team to hold down the fort in the division. So and they're a young team, too. And Mm -hmm. OBJ is 26. So he theoretically, if health stays with him, um, I mean, he could theoretically be around for another five, six, seven years. So yeah, good luck to the AFC North. 
The Bengals should just tank, <laughs> but they don't seem like they know what they're doing. So great. It's a fun time to be alive. <laughs> it's it's a weird time. I'm not sure I'm ready for Browns fans to be insufferable around here. It's weird for such a defensively dominant division over the years to just suddenly implode all within the course of a few weeks. Meanwhile, the league's kicking boy just gets up and gets sick of it and makes all the right moves. It's nuts. Yeah, it's it's good for them, good for their fans who have been waiting for like 20 years for them to be competitive again. Mm-hmm. Um, not good for the rest of the division. Yeah, mine was uh, mine was R.I.P. Giants. Because for as, as good as, as Cleveland gets out of that deal, I don't know, the Giants were starting to look like they might have some pieces together to make kind of a run at a really weird NFC East with Dallas looking kind of vulnerable, Eagles looking kind of vulnerable, Redskins spinning in circles, whatever they're doing. Giants <laughs> had an argument to maybe, you know, come out on top of that division, then you trade Beckham and all you get is the 17th and the 95th when probably all the best players are going to be gone by, like, pick 12 or so, and to replace him, you sign Golden Tate. I, uh... <laughs> yeah, not not really their best um, their best work. And we'll, get, we'll talk about that more in a little bit, too. Yeah. Um, so our next one here is also big news. Um, Le'Veon Bell signed a four-year, $52.5 million deal with the Jets, and it's worth up to 61 mil and includes up to 35 mil in guaranteed money. Go ahead, Grant. Sure. Uh, mine was, that's it. <laughs> I remember when he was, you know, trying to get out of Pittsburgh, he was asking for upwards of what, 72 million in contract deal. Um, something in that department wanted to like really reset the market for running backs and prove they could be paid like wide receivers or even quarterbacks. And then he just goes to the jets for like, 20 some odd million less than what he was asking Pittsburgh for. I mean, it's great for the Jets. He's going to do good in New York. They'll finally have a big star. Sam Darnold will have some help in the backfield for a change. But, like, I don't know. For someone who was talking such a big game two years ago and wanting to reset the market, I don't think he did that thing. Yeah. Um, my response to this was just, eh. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I kind of agree that I don't think he entirely got what he wanted. But I also don't think he'll be unhappy with what he got. Because I think the big thing for him was the guaranteed money. And from all the reports that have come out, the guaranteed money in this was more than the one that the Steelers offered. So the the total money in the Steelers deal, I think, was somewhere around 70 mil. But the guaranteed money was much less than that. And it was less than the guaranteed offered in this one. So I think for him, it was more just having the security that... If something were to happen, and he is, I think he'll be 27 during the league or during the next league year, and he's got a lot of mileage on him. So injuries could happen, and if they do happen, at least he knows he'll come away with a decent chunk. But yeah, I, I don't think it reset the, the market like you're like you said. Yeah. And, like, you're totally right. Getting that guaranteed money is the the crucial thing for Bell because, I mean, Earl Thomas was going to hold out and then got hurt. So Bell's probably thinking, well, I don't want that to happen because he's had a history of getting hurt too, you know, so. Yeah. And um, another thing that I um, was kind of thinking about is people were saying that, you know, he should have just played under that franchise tag. But I think another big part of his season was coming into this offseason healthy, which 
with the franchise tag, yeah, he would have gotten 14 and a half mil guaranteed this year, but there was nothing guaranteed for the future there. If he gets hurt during yeah. the season, he's out a lot of money this offseason. So I still think it was smart for him to not play this year. Um, maybe he didn't get entirely what he wanted, but he comes away healthy. He comes away with a new team where he probably doesn't have bad blood already and you know, kind of gets to reset his mind here. Yeah, I agree with all that. Our next one also related to the Steelers, and we kind of mentioned it earlier, but Antonio Brown traded to the Oakland Raiders for a third and a fifth, and then included in the trade is that the Raiders are giving Brown $50 million over the next three years, of which $30 million is guaranteed. Uh, I'll kick this one off and I'll just say get paid. As I said before, don't entirely agree with his process, but he got what he wanted and the best receiver in the league is now also the highest paid one. So good for him. Good for him. I mean, well, you get what you want and then you pull it off and you get to go to a, a fun team and they're looking up. So why not? Yeah. My, my reaction to this was get loaded because for as good as it is for Antonio Brown, the Raiders are really looking like they're trying to load up for their Vegas move. So it's a smart trade for Oakland. Brown gets out of a bad situation. Everyone kind of wins except for Pittsburgh. And the Raiders are bringing in all this hype coming into Vegas. I live in Las Vegas, so, I mean, I see all the all the commercials of the local news people wearing the Raiders uniforms and the local gas stations selling the cups. So I'm like... Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Get a big star on your team since Car's star is kind of fading. So, makes sense. Get loaded. Come on over. Yeah. Uh, our next one here, Nick Foles signed a four-year $88 million contract, and $50 million of it is guaranteed with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Let's kick it off with you, Grant. <laughs> uh, my reaction was, oh, Jacksonville, <laughs> you you beautiful dumpster fire of a team (laughs) (laughs) i i don't know like nick nick Foles going to the jaguars just feels like this big football meme at this point like that might as well happen jacksonville's so weird i love the jags i really do a Foles is such a stopgap quarterback and his fall seems inevitable to everyone except the jaguars so god bless them four years is a long time to saddle your horse to a risky signing I know he's only guaranteed for two, so they're probably trying to bet on themselves getting in a good position to take someone like Trevor Lawrence or anyone else who starts looking good around 2020, 2021, that time frame. But, man, that's a, that's a big contract for a team who was looking like they might want to tank and cut Bortles. Yeah, um, along that line, my words were just good for Foles. I mean, I'm not convinced he's a franchise quarterback, like you are saying. Um, I, I'm... A, hundred percent on the train that he's a stopgap. He's, he's only as good as the coaches around him. And I don't think the coaches in Jacksonville are those guys to get the most out of him, <laughs> but he won a Super Bowl MVP. His market yeah. value was high. He got the money he wanted. So good for him. Yeah. Not too bad for only starting a full season in his entire career. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. What one good season in the NFL or one good playoff run can do for you. I mean, you got Foles living off of one good playoff run. You got um, Flacco, who basically made a career off of one postseason <laughs> run. Um, yeah, it's it's a weird league for quarterbacks. You don't really have to do all that much to get paid. Jimmy Garoppolo won five games. Yeah. <laughs> Jimmy Garoppolo yeah. Got, had the most expensive contract <laughs> in history for yeah. not that much. All right, our last one here is... 
switching gears here to college basketball, uh, since, you know, there's this big thing called March Madness coming up. What? Right? Um, <laughs> ACC finishes one, two, and three in the final AP Top 25, and they get three number one seeds in the tournament. Uh, I'll kick this off and just say dominant. I mean, we all know the uh, the lore of Duke and Zion Williamson, but obviously Virginia and UNC were incredible this year. Um, UNC obviously beat Duke twice. Zion was out for both of those, but you know, still they still have two top potential top ten picks on their roster. So um, UNC both. UNC and Virginia, both very, very good. And the ACC really was just incredible this year. Um, they were very top-heavy, um, but that top-heavy, that's all they really needed. And now they have three one seeds, and we'll see how they do in the tournament. Yeah. My, my reaction to this one was it doesn't matter because <laughs> I, I, I have all three of them not making it to the finals. Don't at me or at me, whatever. I could use the Twitter attention, but <laughs> I I don't I don't see any of the three ACC teams. May, maybe Gonzaga, I think they're at one, but like I I don't see them making the Final Four, let alone the finals. Because I don't know, there's like that weird curse with number one seeds where they can't seem to put it all together when it matters the most. So I don't know. I I don't think it's gonna matter. It's a super dominant for them. Regular season, college season, they were doing great. All of them look hot. Virginia, I think, is playing super angry since their early exit from last year. Yeah. So they'll probably at least beat the 16 team who <laughs> has the misfortune of drawing them. But uh, I hope apart they from do. that, <laughs> if they don't, they should just be banned from March Madness for yeah, like yeah, five exactly. years. <laughs> yeah, I hope they just for their sake. I hope they don't lose in that first round again. That would not be great for their fans and for just the meme potential. It'd be endless. It would be absolutely endless. Yeah. All right. Um, we're going to switch gears back to the NFL again. And I just wanted to kind of go over what were both of yours um, and mine uh, favorite and least favorite signings or just re-signings by a team in this week of free agency that we've had. I was going to start – I'm, I'm a Packers fan through and through, so my favorite signings are Green Bay actually doing something, anything that didn't involve a 30-year-old tight end, even though we actually did sign a 30-year-old tight end. It that did just also happened involve today. a 30-year-old tight end. <laughs> At least they are third string. It's not like, hey, we got Rob Gronkowski. It's like, what? No. But, like – so my, my favorite signings were grabbing Zadarius Smith, Preston Smith, Adrian Amos, and Billy Turner in free agency – um, all four great starters really made impacts on their team recently. Not big injury problems. Um, all young guys. The Darius had a huge season in Baltimore. Preston made his presence known in Washington for that hot second they had the number one defense. Um, a- Adrian Amos looks like every time he tackles someone, he's trying to murder them. So that's fun. And Billy Turner is a great offensive lineman in Denver. And now that we're losing people left and right in our offensive line, while it's pretty prolific, is also very frequently injured. Getting another anchor on there is all super great. And then you add flexibility in your draft because we have uh, three picks in the first 50, I believe. So it gives you a little bit more of what you're able to do. So, and I mean, even outside of my Packer bias, that's just smart moves. That's smart football signings. Yeah, and I think the... I think my favorite of those four is the Adrian Amos one because um, 
the Packers secondary for years has just not been great. And then being able to steal a pretty good and versatile safety from a division rival. I think that's, uh, that's an underrated, maybe not even underrated, but I think that's a understated move, I guess. I really like it from myself. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm sure you do. It, it, all the Bears fans I know were very unhappy about that. It's funny because in one of my chats, um, Bears fans were talking up Adrian Amos and were just like, oh, he's one of the guys we need to re-sign. And then as soon as he went to the Packers, they switched gears and were just like, oh, he's replaceable. <laughs> we didn't need him. Like, that's how you know. That's how you know that the division rival rivalry is real when all of a sudden this player sucks and eh, we didn't need him. Yeah. People like to make arguments for who the new big rivalry is in the NFL, but they will never have anything on the terrible blood between Bears and Packers fans. Oh, like, yeah. We, it's, we, it's fun to watch. We've, we've got a, a person in our staff who's a big Bears fan, and I, of course, I'm a big Packers fan, and we are very close friends, and so we face each other, then we just say unspeakable things to each other on game <laughs> day. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have a friend who's a, one of my closest friends is a Steelers fan, and I just... I just don't even talk to him when those weeks come around. <laughs> um, I think uh, so. My favorite two re-signing or signings were the Raiders getting Tyrell Williams. So we know about the trade that they did for AB. I think Tyrell Williams is a very very good complementary piece to AB because you know AB's got the route running. He's a little smaller. He could, I don't know. He does what he does. You know what he can do. Uh, Tyrell Williams, he was kind of underutilized in, in LA with the Chargers, I think, but his size and his combination uh, with his speed, I think, makes him a pretty good uh, secondary piece. Um, and he's only 27, which I did not realize. It feels like he's been in the league longer than that. Really? <laughs> yeah. I feel so, like I've heard that name for like ever. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I think that's a. A an underrated great move by the Raiders, which is a weird thing to say. Yeah, it's it's nice to upgrade from what Amari Cooper and half of Jordy Nelson to <laughs> Antonio Brown and Tyrell Williams. That's that's a pretty yeah. good upgrade. Yeah, I would say so. And then my next one is Honey Badger, aka Tyron Matthew, signing with the Chiefs. Um, the Chiefs' defense this year was not good, to put it lightly. <laughs> Uh, they're secondary, so they traded away Marcus Peters before the season started. Um, it just their corners, their safeties, no one was good. Eric Berry was hurt all year, but even when he came back, he didn't really look the same. Uh, so I think Honey Badger is an immediate upgrade to that secondary, and he adds a lot of versatility too. Uh, there's that tweet where it showed all the different positions he played throughout the season. And there were like eight or nine different positions on that. So yeah. <laughs> you can kind of throw him anywhere and he'll give you at least above average contribution. Yeah, I think Houston was smart to give him that one year prove it deal because of his injury history in Arizona and not quite capturing that that magical season where they made the NFC championship run. And I think he really proved himself in Houston. Kind of crazy the Texans didn't want to keep him, but it's really good for the Chiefs. Yeah, I think the... The weird loser in this is the Texans not keeping him because yeah. I think that's a big blow to their, blow to their defense. Um, all right, let's go to our least favorite signings. So my first one here is a re-signing, and it's with the Bengals because I had to give the Bengals a shout-out here. <laughs> uh, Bobby Hart. 
got a three-year, $21 million extension. Um, why? I <laughs> don't know. Great question. <laughs> Ever since he entered the league, he's been one of the worst tackles in football. And he came to the Bengals this year and was still one of the worst tackles in football. And the Bengals somehow deemed that good enough for a three-year extension. I, I really don't get it at all. Um, I think I, I, I know somewhere. Sorry, go sorry, ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Um, <laughs> I, I know only like five and a half mil of it is guaranteed. So I guess theoretically they could cut him after the first year. But honestly, mm-hmm. he was so bad that you could find anyone in the draft to be even like marginally better than him. I'm sure you could find someone in like the sixth round that would play better than him for <laughs> like one fifth of the money. So yeah. this was, this was a re-signing that made zero sense to me. And uh, this is why I hate the Bengals right now. <laughs> I think I was reading somewhere. Something like Bobby Hart was like out of the, the 80 offensive tackles who can get a rating from pro football focus. He was like 75th or some shit. And I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, that, I'm not surprised. I saw a tweet that said um, the Bengals this year put out Eric Flowers and Bobby Hart at tackles at their <laughs> two tackle positions. And Bobby Hart was the weak link of the two. Yeah, that, so, that's saying something. Yeah. The other one that I – or the second one that I had was the Nick Foles one, which we've already talked about. I'm not going to dive into that anymore. Sure. And then my third one was Golden Tate going to the Giants for four years – um, it's worth up to 37 and a half mil with 23 mil guaranteed. I just don't get this at all. Like the giants, when they traded away OBJ, it seemed like they're, they're committing to the tank, but then they went out and did this two days later. I, so are they tanking or not? Like, I, I, I don't, I don't know what they're doing. I don't think they know what they're doing. And this was just the biggest head scratcher of most of the, pretty much all the signings this offseason. Yeah, I, I I don't get it. I would understand the Giants signing Golden Tate. I really would because Golden Tate had a great run in Seattle, decent run in Detroit, maybe underutilized in Philly, maybe not. Hard to say. He didn't have a lot of help in Philly. But I don't know. Signing someone that old who's been in the league for that long who hasn't shown a big flash in like two or three seasons to like starter money – is like is your rebuild the cornerstone Golden Tate? Cause like I don't I don't know if I'd build a house on that brick. Yeah, and then and like, I mean, your quarterback is still Eli Manning, so it's not like you're getting a super well known guy who helps his quarterback out or anything. It's it's a weird one, and um, I saw a breakdown of the routes that he ran this past year, and pretty much every route he ran was within like ten yards. So you're, you're basically getting a slot receiver and paying him number one receiver money. And they already have a slot receiver in Sterling Shepard on the team. Why not have two? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I guess if Eli can't throw further than 10 yards and I guess you maximize the number of receivers within those 10 yards. Exactly. If Eli even is still their quarterback after this season. Yeah. We'll see. Um, We'll get to that in a bit too. Um. (laughs) All right, let's go to you. What were your least favorite signings? I, my least favorite, by far, because my, my jaw hit the floor when I saw this one, uh, was the Dolphins picking up Ryan Fitzpatrick for two years and $11 million, which, 
is not terrible. Not a bad contract at all for a journeyman quarterback who you're saddling onto for a little bit while you lick your wounds. But at the same time, you've got really young quarterbacks who you could like kick the tires on and see if they're worth anything before you start tanking and potentially draft other quarterbacks. Why go after Ryan Fitzpatrick, whose whole reputation is getting you just enough wins to look good and then immediately betraying you? <laughs> it's 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 been it's bizarre because the Dolphins a rare move for an NFL team is announcing you're gonna tank and then saying things like we're gonna try and get rid of Ryan Tannehill so we can tank we're gonna move on from Cameron Wake so we can tank and then you get Ryan Fitzpatrick whose specialty is a six and ten seven nine record <laughs> which isn't exactly like top ten pick territory. And if you're trying to get the future of your franchise, why not see what Luke Falk can do or that other guy whose name escapes me for some reason that starts with the J. But Jay like, Krudock. That's the one. You, yep. you got you got these two young guys who you can totally give a shot to, maybe let them blow it. Maybe they're your starter. Who knows? They're certainly cheaper than $11 million. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat. This one also just made no sense to me because, like the Giants, either you commit to a rebuild or you don't. And the Dolphins are in no shape to compete anywhere in the next, like, two or three years. So, like you said, give your young quarterbacks a shot. You have Luke Falk, who you drafted very recently. And just as as recently as last year, they said that they had big plans for him for the future. <laughs> so how about you actually make that a part of your future and put him into the starting uh, spot and just see what he can do? If he sucks great i mean now you know you need a quarterback if yeah, he's exactly. good well then you have something to build on so this just didn't make sense to me and like i saw um i was listening to another podcast and someone said there ryan fitzpatrick is great for one game going out and throwing five touchdowns then the very next game throwing five picks so <laughs> that's basically what you're going to get out of him and you know you get a boomer bust guy who is mostly bust but he'll boom just enough to keep you out from a top or keep you away from a top three pick. I, I saw that it's his, it's his eighth team, which is now officially, I think it's the eighth team he started for too. So he's been through yeah. a fourth of the league. <laughs> That's crazy. And he's been through three teams in the AFC East. All we need is the Patriots to pick him up for one last run. You know what? I'd love that. I'd love for Tom Brady to retire as a stopgap. Maybe it's a slow quarterback here, and they get Ryan Fitzpatrick just to see what happens, and then Fitz rides off into the sunset, finishing the AFC East off and just winning a Super Bowl with the Patriots. <laughs> just, just why not? <laughs> that would be the absolute worst, so please no. <laughs> um, all right, let's move on to Dummy of the Week. So we've talked a lot about the Giants trading OBJ. So in honor of that, I had to give dummy of the week to the New York Giants general manager, Dave Gettleman. So he made that trade last week and that somehow wasn't the worst thing he did. Um, since then, he's been doing a media tour around various um, New York media um, outlets. And the most recent one was an interview today with uh, Mike Francesa on the, his radio show. And in this radio show, Gettleman had a few um, head-scratching comments. 
So he got the offer from the Browns for uh, OBJ. And then he didn't call other teams to shop him more and try to get more out of that trade because he thinks that the team that makes the call is giving up leverage. (laughs) Now, normally I would agree. Normally I would agree. But when you're trading a superstar, I think if someone were to call me and say, hey, someone offered me a first, a late third, and a average safety, I would probably jump on trying to beat that offer. But hey, that's what Gettleman thinks. He also said he wants fans to trust, quote unquote, the plan. Oh, no. (laughs) But he's yet to elaborate on what this plan is. And no one seems to have any idea what the plan is because no one's able to figure it out yet. It's kind of like the process in Philly. Just just believe in it. (laughs) Yeah. Except in Philly, you knew what they were doing. They're losing on purpose. They're purposely throwing out trash rosters, trash lineups just so they could lose. And, you know, that's the direction I thought the Giants were going in until they gave Golden Tate that contract. And then he also said he believes in Eli because he thinks that the second half of last year can be built on. And I Uh. don't know (laughs) where he's getting that from. I mean, I suppose Eli was better in the second half of last year, but he still wasn't good. Beat the Bears. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess. But Eli is also, what, 35, 30-something 30 30 old? I think he's 38. 38? Okay, I so Eli's... So. He sure is. He's 38. So <laughs> Eli's 38. Yeah. The normal trajectory for a quarterback here is that they get worse as the seasons progress, and somehow Gettleman thinks that Eli can get better. Yeah. I, it's one of those things where I think back to a season or two ago when... uh. Uh, McAdoo benched Eli for that one game and then all of the state of New York and parts of New Jersey threw like a hissy fit like demanded he like lose his job like how dare you disrespect Eli all that stuff I think that moment where the fandom rallied for Eli has officially cursed them because now every person in management in Giants since that moment has been like yeah we believe in Eli he's the guy and it's like are you sure because now everyone's asking you questions but then at the same time like you were the people who didn't want us to bench him yeah it's uh I think it's a weird dynamic with uh the fans in some of these organizations where you have a quarterback who's won you two Super Bowls so you kind of latch on to him but the, the reasonable side of the fans knows that he's just declining and he's not that good anymore. Yeah. But then there's the fanhood side where you think he can recreate that magic one more time. Um, I don't think Eli has that magic anymore, but hey, we'll see. I, ownership thinks he does. All right. Let's move on to rank them. So last year we ranked or last episode, we ranked the top five most devastating losses you've experienced. So this week we're going to do top five most exciting wins you've experienced. So I'll say my number five, then you say your five, then we'll just go back and forth. Got it. So my number five here is Ohio State basketball beating Michigan in the Big Ten basketball tournament in 2010. So I was a student at the time. That was my freshman year. And that was the Evan Turner game winner as the clock expired. And it was just a weird, it was a very um, 
surreal, I guess, kind of moment because it was finals week. We're all supposed to be quiet. That obviously did not happen. Shout out Moral Tower Suite 1810. We uh, <laughs> kind of cheered across our entire hall after that happened. So I'm sorry to everyone else on the 18th floor. Um, but yeah, it was really cool to see because Evan Turner that year won college basketball player of the year. Um, and that, that was just kind of like the icing on his, on that, on his resume of that season where he was just incredible. He hit that shot. The place went nuts. It was Michigan. So yeah, uh, that was a very, very cool moment. I love stories like that where it's all the people cheering and just driving people nuts. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure everyone else is doing it. We were just the loudest and most obnoxious <laughs> ones. So, all right. What's your number five? My number five uh, was a week 17 game between Green Bay and Chicago. It was the 2013-14 season. Um, Aaron Rodgers had suffered a collarbone injury early in the year. We put Matt Flynn in for a while. Looked like the Lions were going to win the division, and then they didn't. And then Josh McCown caught fire in Chicago. Flynn kept us alive. It came down to a week 17 matchup between us. Winner goes to the playoffs, wins the division. And uh, we were looking like it wasn't going to happen. And then the the Aaron Rodgers mythos not necessarily begins, but really gains fire in this game because he throws that beautiful last-second bomb to Randall Cobb, who then just sprints into the end zone in Chicago, watching the hearts of Bears fans shatter everywhere. <laughs> it, it's, it's a very special moment in my mind. So I was watching that game and just feeling really down about it, and then you see that happen and just whooping and hollering and shouting through the house and your girlfriend thinks you're insane and your parents already know you're <laughs> insane, but there's more proof for it. So, and then the next week Colin Kaepernick destroyed us, but that game was fun. <laughs> yeah. I remember watching that game. That was, um, that was even for someone who's not a fan of either team. And I was very neutral in that one. That was pretty exciting to watch. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, my number four is Ohio State football beating Miami in the national championship game in 2003. So I have to preface this with, at that time, I wasn't actually into football that much. So I went to, I was like, what, 12 at the time, 11. Uh, We went to a watch party that one of our family friends was hosting. And this is how little I cared about football. My parents left, or like we left that party as the game was going into overtime, we didn't watch overtime live. <laughs> if I could go back in time, I would punch my parents in the face for letting me leave that game or leave that party early. But I was 11. I didn't really care about football. So, yeah, whatever. But now going back and like fully understanding football and like knowing the magnitude of that moment. I've been able to obviously appreciate it so much more. And I've rewatched that game probably like 40 times since then. So it's, it's a weird one for me to put on this list because I didn't actually watch the end of it live, but it still like resonates with me the same. Do your, uh, do your parents listen to the show? <laughs> uh, I hope they do just for this. I hope they do. <laughs> Dear mom and dad, I would punch you in the face. <laughs> Uh, my number four was uh, kind of a recent one, but it's uh, Rogers Hail Mary against the Lions. Um, didn't change a lot. We limped into the playoffs. Uh, but this one's just kind of a personal game for me because that was a, a rough day. 
just an onslaught of bad news after bad news. Um, just a rough day for me. And usually I unwind by liking to come home and watch the game. It was a Thursday night football game. And Detroit just started annihilating us. It was right in the prime of, you know, Denver beat us, so now we're terrible mode. And I, I believe uh, my wife just saw me getting upset and upset. And she said, just turn it off if you're going to be that sad. You're having a bad day as it is. And then, um, you know, I was like, can we just check on it and see how it's doing like later in the game? And lo and behold, <laughs> not only are we in it, but Rodgers is about to throw probably one of the most iconic Hail Marys of all time. And I don't know, sometimes to this day when I'm feeling down, I just go back and watch that play over and over. And you know what? Just, just, just so we're clear, yes, that was a phantom face mask. He, there, there, was, <laughs> there was no penalty. But am I upset about it? <laughs> Absolutely not. Of course not. You take <laughs> it and you run with it. Exactly. My number three, uh, there's kind of a theme here. Uh, Ohio State <laughs> basketball. Um, when we beat Xavier in the 2007 tournament on, um, on our way to the championship game. So I think that was, uh, I don't actually remember if what round that was in, but it was one of the earlier rounds and we were a one seed that year. So losing that game would have really sucked. I believe Xavier <laughs> was a nine seed. So, um, but it was one of those games where pretty much the entire game we were trailing and we needed a missed free throw at the end of the game to give us the chance for Ron Lewis to hit the three pointer that sent us into overtime. And then we won in overtime, but just everything about that team, that was the, one of the great recruiting classes of Thad Mata that was Greg Oden and Mike Conley and Daquan Cook and the Thad Five, as we named it. Um, <laughs> it was one of the most exciting Ohio State teams I've ever watched. Probably one of the best basketball teams ever to not win a championship game um, or not win a title. And yeah, it was just, it was a very surreal game to watch because I think every Ohio State game had kind of just assumed at one point that it was just not going to happen. We were not going to win that game. And then Ron Lewis came down and hit that three and it just absolutely was bonkers. And I loved every second of it. Yeah. I remember that team really clearly. Actually, I remember watching that game and thinking there was no way. And then everything broke the right way. It was insane. Yeah. That, that missed free throw, especially with, I, I, from the missed free throw onwards to the point where the clock hit zero, I have Gus Johnson's commentary memorized because I've watched (laughs) that like 10 seconds so many times. And yeah, it's just, it was, it's a moment that's forever ingrained in my memory. That's amazing. I love it. Uh, My number three, um, we ended up losing this game. This is a hockey thing. My, My other big sport is hockey. For as much as I love football, there was like a weird childhood love for uh, for that sport because my dad's from Canada, and uh, my my hometown just got our first professional franchise, and we all rallied around the Golden Knights. <laughs> and then um, in our first season, we go to the, the the NHL finals, and of course we lose it four to one to the Capitals because Ovechkin needed something, you know, well deserved. <laughs> but that that game one was so intense and so fun and. It was one of the, the first times I got to watch like a sporting event with my friends and drink and get rowdy and ruckus, and it was just a fun game to watch, and the first one is just so special to me to this day still. So, like, we might never get lightning in a bottle like that again as a franchise, but 
Game one of the 2017-18 NHL Finals was such a fun event for us and just really helped uh, bring that city together, especially because we had our that big tragic shooting the October yeah. before the season started, and the players of the Knights were just out in the city volunteering, donating, doing everything they can for the survivors, things of that nature. So they really helped heal us through their big historic run through that first season. Yeah, it's funny how sports can do that. It kind of in a time where everyone was kind of divided, that that was the one um, one thing that brought everyone together. We all like hockey. <laughs> um, my number two is the Cavs winning Game 7 against the Warriors in the NBA Finals. I don't really have much to say about this other than that the Warriors blew a 3-1 lead. That's it. <laughs> My that's one of my favorite post game interviews ever when they're just trying to ask LeBron James anything and all he does is scream the word Cleveland. Yeah, <laughs> the best. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, I I had rarely seen my NBA or my basketball teams in general have success because Ohio State obviously is known as a football school. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had our runs, as I previously said, like we made a championship game in '07, but I've never actually seen any of my basketball teams win a title. So that was the one where, with all odds against the Cavs, they came back from down 3-1 and won in Game 7. And it was just just a, an incredible moment. And, yeah, I mean, don't think any anything that the Cavs can ever do again will top that. No way. Uh, my number two, um, it kind of prefaces my number one, but it was the sixth seed Packers. Uh, beating the Chicago Bears in Chicago in the NFC Championship game to make the Super Bowl. I don't know. That playoff run is so nuts to me to this day. Um, the the, the 2010-2011 run where we kind of got off to a slow start. Aaron Rodgers caught fire, and then the rest is history. Um, sometimes people point out, like, well, if Cutler didn't get hurt, you would have lost. And I'm like, well... Maybe Cutler should get a better pinky. <laughs> I don't know. If it was the <laughs> NFC Championship, I'd keep playing. <laughs> uh, yeah, I. it's weird because I don't uh, – I said with your previous one, with your number five, that I was – during that game, I was kind of like a neutral observer. But I think by this point, I kind of had not become a Packers fan, but I was very much a fan of Aaron Rodgers. So anytime he – was able to get a uh, Super Bowl or get some success. I, I'm always happy for him, I guess. I just want one more, man. I'm Jones. Because, <laughs> like, listen, I, I followed Favre for two decades and got one Super Bowl, and he's one of the goats. So I'm like, if the same thing happens to Rodgers, I swear to God. <laughs> Look, at least your team is making Super Bowls. Fair. My team my team can't even make get a playoff win. So, you know. Fair. You know what? I, I should be more grateful. <laughs> <laughs> um, my number one is Ohio State football beating Alabama in 2014 in the semifinals of the playoffs. So it wasn't a national championship game, but it felt like the national championship game. Like it, it felt like the winner of that game was going to win the title regardless of who was on the other side. And everyone knows the, the legend of Bama. So beating Bama in that game was just so much better and so much more meaningful. I mean, I the championship game, we we beat Oregon by like 20. I barely even paid attention to that game. I, I, I watched it, <laughs> but I honestly could not go back and tell you what happened in that game. 
But that Bama game, that Bama game, I remember every single second of watching that. I remember, I remember that Zeke touchdown at the end when he uh, that eighty yards to the heart of the South. Oh, I can rewatch that play every day for the rest of my life because nothing, nothing I've ever seen Ohio State do lives up to that. I always love those games where it's like this is the championship. It doesn't matter. Yeah, what I mean next week. that was just one of those games where it was like we if we got past Bama. We, were, we knew we were going to win the championship game after that. And it was especially sweet yeah. because Ohio State made it in as a four seed. And there was that big controversy over whether it should have been us or TCU making it into that final spot. So that was kind of sweet, you know, to have Ohio State win that when a lot of people thought we didn't belong there. So mm-hmm. I remember that one pretty clearly. That was an insane game to watch. It was very, very fun. And yeah. My only regret is not watching that with other people because that one that one was the one where I sat at home and watched it alone. You know, sometimes you need a good alone moment so you can just do whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> My number one, um, since we're, I talk about the Packers pretty much all the time, uh, it's Super Bowl forty five. Um, so I didn't watch this one in person, oh, believe no. it or not. My backstory, my backstory for that one is um, so twenty early twenty eleven, like late January. Um, I used to be Mormon, so I did a, a two-year service mission. One of the rules is you can't watch TV, and I was a week removed from the Super oh, Bowl, no. and my guys were going, and I'm like, okay, that seems <laughs> unfair, but here we are. <laughs> so I pretty much got a recap of the game through a letter my mom sent me, which, not the same. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> so when, when I got back... Um, uh, I, I got the DVD copy of the Super Bowl, and I watched that over and over, and I, I, I adore that game. I love watching like that offense at the peak of their, of their power. Um, it was back in the day when we actually had a good tight end, and that was <laughs> nice for a hot second. Um, it's just so fun to watch the Steelers get wrecked. Like I, I don't hate a lot of NFL teams. It was right in that prime era where the Steelers were just obnoxious, you know? They're always Like, whatever, obnoxious. get out of here. <laughs> They're always obnoxious, but that, like, late <laughs> 2000s, early 2010s Steelers, it's like, get whatever. Yeah, <laughs> So, totally with So you. that Super Bowl is one of my favorites. I have the DVD. I have the T-shirt. I had the hat for a while. I fell in love with a man named Jordy Nelson. It was <laughs> it was a good time. It still feels good. I, just, I Like I said, I want one more. One more for Rodgers just to cement his legacy. I know it's cemented. I know he's a Hall of Famer no matter what happens. Just one more. I just want one where I can watch it because I've gotten two Packers Super Bowls in my lifetime. The first one I was five and picked the team because the Packers had a G on their helmets, and I'm five, and that means they're mine. And the the and the second one, I, I wasn't allowed to watch TV, so I'm like, can I just have one <laughs> where I have a stake in the game? Yeah, that's brutal. But at least you got a Super Bowl. Exactly. All right. Well, that wraps up that. We'll just go to our last section here, which is make your pick, uh, which seems like a perfect opportunity for our March Madness picks. Hey. Um, so give me your final four, your title game picks, and your winner. Uh, full disclosure, um, as mentioned earlier, I am a football encyclopedia. <laughs> um, my, my basketball episode of Alternate Jersey is the shortest ever. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not exactly well-known at the Play Call Network for being a basketball expert, so here is my very uninformed um basically picking based on reading stats really quick final four and probably picking all the wrong upsets but here we go 
My final four is Michigan, Michigan State, Villanova, and Auburn. Okay, okay. Um, uh, I don't Michigan like the, State wins it. I don't all. like the Michigan pick, but you know what? I know you don't, but I also know a secret. So listen, <laughs> I, I'm I'm picking Michigan State to win it all. Okay. From what I've heard from anecdotal evidence from you and the stories I've read, it sounds like they've been battling injuries all season. Some people think that Duke robbed them of that one seed. I have Duke and Michigan State meeting up at some point on my bracket, and I'm just looking forward to a nice, cool, like. They doubted us game. Just play it nice and angry. Maybe Zion's like, I ain't going to like get hurt again. I'm going to just play this one cool if they're going to try and kill me. <laughs> so, like, I don't know. Michigan State might do it. Okay. I don't I don't hate it. Um, <laughs> all right. But I don't agree with it. Uh, yeah. I mean, I could see Michigan State winning it. Actually, that that's the Elite Eight pick for me that was the hardest to pick. Um, so, my final four ended up being Duke. Uh, I gave you, I gave you shit for it, but I did it too. Do it. I have Michigan in my <laughs> final four. Yes. Uh, it sucks. It it really, really sucks. <laughs> um, and then on the other side, I've got Tennessee and UNC and yeah. it, my bracket is very boring. I went pretty much chalk with my final four picks. These are all ones and two seeds here. Um, <clears throat> and then in my championship game, give me Duke UNC part four. Let's do it again. I want this. If part four is anywhere near as good as part three, then this will be a championship game worth it. And I have UNC taking home the trophy this time. Um, yeah. It's funny. I, I think my head agrees. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Cause like, I think Duke is the best team in the country. Um, and it's just weird because normally teams that are as young as Duke don't end up winning at all. Normally you see the teams that are dominated by juniors and seniors, the ones that end up winning at all. Um, I think Duke is, obviously good enough to make the championship game. I just think you play the same team four times. Eventually experience is going to win out. Hopefully maybe please be right. <laughs> It'd be nice to see Duke lose. I don't know. I've, I've mentioned my Vegas roots before, and I will always have a deep seated hatred for Duke because they stole a championship from us in the early nineties. <laughs> so it's like no, no one in this town has any good feelings to Duke if they were born and raised here. Yeah, I don't really have any ill will towards Duke or UNC. I feel like every year I kind of flip back and forth between which one I like more. This year I'm just kind of on the fence. I really don't have a team I like more than the other. I think Duke's more fun to watch just because Zion exists. I'm just saying, one team is called the Devil's Oxide. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that wraps up this episode of Hit Single. Um Grant's got a podcast here. I'll let him plug it. Yeah, my podcast is Alternate Jersey. Uh, it's a scripted show where we take uh, moments in sports history, mostly football ones, and we kind of flip them to see what would happen otherwise. Uh, we just wrapped up a two-part episode um, about John Elway staying with the Baltimore Colts back in 83. And uh, my argument is that it is the single most important draft move to happen within the last 30 years of NFL history because it changes the last 30 years of NFL history. So if you're into that sort of thing, come check it out. We have a lot of fun. It's a lot of research, a lot of in-depth exploring. If you're a fan of Dave Damajek's NFL histories or, you know, if you read those articles on SB Nation and think these should be at least half an hour longer, that's my show. So come <laughs> listen to it. Yeah. Um, it's always a good listen. And then we've got other uh, podcasts on the Play Call Network. Uh, be sure to give them all a listen, and we'll see you in two weeks.